You're listening to the best possible taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Good evening and welcome to this week's Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and tonight's guests include Ron Forrestal from Forrestal Wine Merchants with his wine suggestions this month. I pay a visit to Kelly's Resort in Ross Lair in County Wexford and I'm blown away, not by the weather, thank goodness, but by the most incredible art collection I've ever seen. And finally, at the end of the show tonight, Iman McDonnell, a.k.a. Modern Format, will be in the studio to talk about her new cookbook. A reminder as to how you can get in touch with me, you can drop me an email to s.noonan at live.ie or you can tweet me at Queen of Org as in Queen of Organisation. And as I always say, it's great to hear from you, so please do get in touch. Now, what better topic to start the show off with on a Tuesday evening but a chat about wine with our resident wine guru, Ron Forrestal. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Ron, you're very welcome to the studio. Thanks, Sharon. And we're going to talk about wine pairing tips tonight. But before we do that, I want to ask you about Cremont. Yes. Drank a nice bit of it there a few weeks ago in Kelly's in Ross Lair. Super. And yeah. it's not something you come I, well, it's not something I have come across very, very often. It's usually the Prosecco, yes, yeah. Cava, Cava from Spain, Champagne from Champagne mm. in France. Yes. So, what's the story with Cremont? Am I saying it correctly? Cremont, yes, yeah. Well, Cremont is a sparkling, effectively, it's a French sparkling that's outside of Champagne. Um, so, it's produced in a number of areas, uh, Cremant de Loire. Cremant in France, is it just France? Oh, France, yeah, okay. yeah, absolutely. Uh, and Burgundy produce quite a bit of it. Loire Valley is the biggest producer um, of it. Um, it's a certain style, um, much different to Prosecco. Uh, you'll find Prosecco tends to be very fruity and much easier to drink than Cremant tends to be. Cremant tends to be much drier, uh, kind of champagne style of sparkling. It kind of lost out because Prosecco became so popular uh, so quickly. Uh, Cava, the, the Spanish uh, sparkling, has the same issue. It's not as sweet as Prosecco is, which means it's it's more difficult to drink, you know, a, a few glasses of yes. it, whereas it's quite easy to drink Prosecco. You can stand up at an event and you find yourself you've drank two and a half glasses of Prosecco in 20 minutes after you've arrived. You know, that's mm-hmm. it's just that's that easy yeah, to drink. Easily, yeah. uh, whereas Cremant tends to be more aperitif where somebody has a glass of it before they go in and have dinner. Cava was the same concept that you'd have a glass of it and then move on. Okay, great. Well, I just thought I'd ask you that whenever... Mm. Um, it's so hard to find a nice one because they tend to be a lot of different ones. Like, you know, you'd, you'd have certain brands of Prosecco you'd recognise from either a supermarket or wherever. Um, you know, like La Delicia or Zonin or um, La Marsa or a few Proseccos that you'd recognise when you see them. But um, Cremont tends to be much smaller production, so you don't get the same kind of brand association as you get with other uh, Proseccos or even Cavas for that reason. Okay. So what would go well with Cremont then? Because we're going to talk about wine pairing tips so you might have a couple of suggestions of what sure. goes nicely the, with it. They work very well with kind of canopies. You know, canopies where you have those pastry things, you know, or pastry cases uh, with generally light enoughish kind of fillings. It's to stand up, you know, have a glass of something before you go into dinner or before while you listen to somebody talk about fashion or whatever the case may be. Okay. That's where it's so wine pairing tips then what's your first wine pairing tip um, well th- the biggest tip is, is drink what you like <laughs> as in find something you like uh, but th- I suppose the best thing th- that I can uh, impart on you is that um, pick a half a dozen things that you like 
you know that that suits certain occasions um, be it like pick a nice couple of whites a nice sparkling be that Prosecco or be it Champagne whatever you, you feel like and a couple of reds uh, and something maybe at the end of a meal you know th- th- like have a have a portfolio of wines that you drink <laughs> in opposed to you know having New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc which will go at everything mm-hmm. and it does because if you like it it'll go at everything um, but I suppose just pick a, a handful of things that you become comfortable with and make a conscious effort to find them and do you mean then like to have the, to pair them to different courses of a meal on the same night or do you mean like have one on a Friday night and have something yeah. different the following Friday night because we do tend to get a bit set in our ways don't we oh absolutely and that's for a number of reasons because the the particularly wines that are bought in shops tend to push the same products all the time and the same style of products particularly all the time and I don't mean pick two different New Zealand Sauvignon Blancs and then three different Riojas as your reds I mean like where you'd have um, say a Sauvignon Blanc um, you may have a Pinot Grigio or, or Alberino or something different that some, so white that may be not as dry and maybe a bit more full body that would suit certain things like a Chardonnay that would suit smoked salmon or something like that and then on reds you'd have like a Pinot Noir which is a relatively light red which means you could have that earlier in the evening it doesn't seem as heavy uh, works better with even fish uh, you can drink it then you'd have a more full-bodied one like an Italian maybe Chianti Barbera or something and then you'd have a big red you could drink be that a Rioja be it a Shiraz from Australia for a steak or for a Malbec for a steak or something like that you know you just have a few to pick from so drink what you like to drink yes okay your next tip that you have here in front of me is start by thinking about the dish or the meal as a whole. What do you mean by that now? Well, there's a lot of things that, that are, you know, when your food, uh, uh, the menu that you're having, be it the starter, or main course, dessert, you've got to think about what's actually in it. And if you're drinking, does it suit what you're, what you're having? White wine is, is a real one that I, I think people could think about a little bit more particularly when they're having you know is the how strong is the food they're going to eat like if they're having it could be fish but it could be fish with you know a really powerful pungent uh, spices or ingredients with it and white wine finds it very difficult to stand up to that because when I mean stand up to it means that you can actually take a bite take a drink take a bite take a drink which is the, the you know the basis for drinking wine particularly but if you're having something that's so powerful that's why it's so hard to find wine to go with Asian food mm. because it, it, it's it overpowers it completely if when you start taking chilies in your mouth of any, in any form anything you taste after that is, is you know it could be anything particularly mm-hmm. so you got to think about that and sometimes wine is not the option something else is the option like beer goes particularly well with that and it's very hard to find something else that does so I suppose how powerful the dish is going to be um, whether it's fatty or, or as in you know where you have red meat that has fat on it and uh, or very lean meat like chicken you know there are different things and they need different uh, wines to suit them um, our, our acidic acidic is the other one you know where you have I mean on the wine into things now if the wine is nice and acidic and I say nice and acidic acidic is, is a kind of a, a negative word but it works really well in wine because it has a purpose it cleans your palate um, Sauvignon Blanc is very acidic Chenin Blanc is acidic Chardonnay is not acidic Pinot Grigio is particularly not acidic um, but acid works very well with things of butter cream that cuts through them gives you a nice clean palate and works very well 
so it's a lot of information there's so much there is so much to remember so there is and to get it right and I suppose that's why you're you're saying look work work with it and try different things and experiment it is and I got I'm using the I was talking to a lot of customers today restaurant customers today and it's it's funny how trends repeat themselves in everywhere every type of restaurant be that the pub who serves dinner to the you know a hotel four star hotel to the restaurant that'll be very high end they're saying the same thing all the time Malbec is selling really well where did that come out of you know we couldn't give away a bottle of Malbec three years ago people found it too rough too heavy only suited certain dishes whereas now they'd all have a pouring Malbec which means you can sit in the bar and drink a glass of Malbec before you go to dinner and that's not an Irish thing now that's an English American thing initially um, but it's funny they're all saying the same thing um, and you can notice you go into a supermarket now because supermarket is the best place to see ranges of wine you know, and look they'll have probably six seven Malbecs you know, which is unbelievable. They'll have as much Malbec as they will Shiraz, which is, I think is remarkable. Um, but the thing is, what I'm saying is that if you haven't tried something like that, there's something behind the, the, the trend. Mm-hmm. You know, it is, the product is nice, it's different, very different. And isn't it lovely to be able to go into somebody's house, be it on a Sunday evening where you're having a glass of wine or something, and where you're able to say, God, yeah, yeah, you know, I'll try that. Sounds lovely. I'll try that. Whereas you're not thinking in the back of your head, God, I wish they had a glass of Pinot Grigio. Wouldn't it be great? I'm going to be my own the next time I come. Um, well, a lot of people do, don't they? They do. And they hand it over and it disappears <laughs> off into, into the back of the cupboard, never to be seen again. Yes, yeah, and the end up seeing it. But I've just said, to, if you open your mind to it a bit and, and are a bit flexible, there's some, some beautiful wine out there, some really wine that you might never dream of picking up. Um, and I think if you can get a group, and I've said this before, if you can get a, a, a three, two, three couples together, you know, where you can get a couple of, instead of getting three bottles of Sauvignon Blanc and three bottles of Chianti for the dinner or whatever you're having, the group you're having, why not get like two different whites and two different reds and let people try stuff? Because this is a time where you don't have to buy a bottle of it, you just have to have a glass of it. Um, or half a glass of it and then find one you like and drink that or whatever just to be a bit flexible and and spin just just if you can break over the 10 euro mark when you're buying something it makes an awful difference from your perspective this must be very important for you whenever you're going into sell to your customers in restaurants um, to make sure their staff are trained you do yeah. training what sort of what sort of training do you do with them it's funny I, I did some training last Friday evening in a restaurant in Ballybunion a very successful restaurant in Ballybunion um, with the staff uh, who are seven girls and Elaine is the, the, the manager there and Derek's the chef and they were the most enthusiastic seven girls that I've ever sat down with to talk about anything now they, they had you know some of them had, had a little knowledge some of them had more some had very little because they're very young they've never even drank wine ever um, uh, some of them had drank white but never drank red and by the end of it we tasted about seven or eight wines and uh, we were spitting about and everything because I, I told them that you have to do that because if you taste a couple of them there's no point tasting anymore but it's amazing we got two of the girls who had never drank red before to drink red to taste two different reds and they thought they were very nice yeah. they mightn't pick him again mm-hmm. um, but they've got over that hurdle of the perception of, that they had in their yeah. head that they didn't like them but the, the and I was talking to the owner yesterday and um, he said we had a great weekend 
we had a great weekend because I heard one of the girls talking to somebody about something they tasted Friday evening. Somebody had asked them, you know, what, what would I have? You know, a nice bottle of wine. And she said, you stood up for 30, 40 seconds telling someone to try this one because we tried that yesterday evening and it was really nice. Fantastic. Now, that helps me more than it helps them probably. But, you know, it really helps me sell wine to somewhere like that. That, And it's just because the person who was sitting down, the customer, asked the girl and and the girl you believed her because what she it was it wasn't something she read on the door on the way out of the kitchen telling her to sell this one because we want to sell it it was the fact that they believed her the product is very good as well it's a very nice one that she actually recommended and he said she got a fantastic reaction from the people they said it was lovely you know that they stopped her to tell her it was very nice lovely she said yeah we've tasted that you know we all thought that was really nice when we did a tasting so that training is invaluable to me uh, it's invaluable to the restaurant because their staff get a little bit now it's only a, an hour and a you know every now and again that the but if you get any bit of confidence at all and then the customer gets something that's recommended to them it's like when somebody says you know when you get to the dessert stage what would you have and the girl says you got to try the you know the, the death by chocolate or whatever it is you know you got to try that because that's my favorite one on the and what are you going to do? Pick the lemon meringue? You know, what are you going to well, do? You've asked her, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. And you've asked because you are dithering and you yes, don't know. Yeah, yeah. You need a direction. For choice. So, yeah, of course. Yeah, does that. Now, then, of course, the, the, the more advanced training for restaurants is this kind of wine pairing thing, which means that when somebody sits down and asks you, okay, we're going to have smoked salmon, but we're, we're both having, uh, our, which is more of an issue, uh, but one of us having sea bass and the other one's having uh, lamb. What do, we, what do we do there? You know, and that's the more tricky ones because then you have to get into the, you know, you have to get a bit of knowledge under the belt then to try and figure out what it is. But like, it, I, I love it, and people, customers don't ask enough questions, and staff don't talk to people enough about things, and it's probably a bit of of uh, fear on both sides that do that. But well, you've brought in a couple of bottles. Yes. Tell us about the bottles you brought in tonight. Well, it's funny. It's it's. Um, I had this is a New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc from Wither Hills. It's a Marlborough from Marlborough, New Zealand, um, and I brought in uh, Lalinda um, uh, Luigi Bosca Malbec, mainly because these are probably the two most fashionable things at the moment by far. Um, New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc is just selling like even wine lists with three, four whites and three, four reds on it have a New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc and have a Malbec. Would you say Cloudy Bay has something to do with that? Do you feel Cloudy Bay kind of put the New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc on the map? I think it did. It gave it an amount of credibility that Cloudy Bay was talked about in the same sentences as, um, you know, Pudifuse, Sancerre, same kind of, you know, it was in that ballpark. It has been... Um, it has been rated by Parker, you know, these guys from Wine Enthusiasts and that, the, the, you know, that, that that just give it that bit of extra push. It's that helped a lot. Uh, now, Cloudy Bay, it's it's quite expensive. Um, so the it's costing, you know, in a restaurant you're going to spend 45 or 50 euros a bottle on it. It's not enough that people are going to spend that money on, on New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc. But the one that's on for you know, 28, 30, 32 euros would generally be a very good product and people like drinking them you know, they they find them, now they drink a lot of them at home you can see how many of them are for sale in, in supermarkets at this stage, you know, and they tend to be an offer so which means people are buying them but um, it's, yeah, I think Cloudy Bay has, has, has probably and Lost and Dry Hills was another one that really, you know, was a pioneer 
for that kind of uh, New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc style that they've all followed since. What would you put that with then, that New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc? New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc works very well as, as an aperitif. You know, something before dinner where you're having a glass of something nice and fresh. It's very fresh. It's a lot of fruit in it. It is acidic, so again, it'll work very well with anything with butter, cream afterwards for a starter. Um, it's it's a fairly powerful white wine. You know, there's a lot of flavor to it. So what you're eating needs to be fairly... Like, I wouldn't recommend it with smoked salmon or something because it can kill the smoked salmon. It can be too much for it. So it's better off with something like if you're having mussels and cream and, you know, that kind of... Um, sauce that's pretty heavy this works particularly well and what about the Malbec then tell us a bit about it uh, Luigi Bosca is a great producer of Malbec this is entry level Malbec for them um, but it costs around 13 or 14 euros a bottle um, and they go way up um, uh, but it's Malbec is you know and I tasted one of these in, in, in this restaurant training that I was talking about and Malbec is not a drink for people who don't drink red wine it's a red wine drinker's glass of red wine it's best to eat with it I find it's best to eat red meat with it if you can or something like a pasta with you know a fairly heavy tomato sauce something that's fairly powerful best to do that um, I, I really like them I like a glass of them uh, you know it's it's not something you're going to sit down at home watching you know house cards with a bottle of Malbec I find it's just far too heavy for that okay all right, well, they look like two lovely bottles yeah, yeah. and um, great tips there. You might put them up on your Facebook page. For I will. People yeah, to, absolutely. To see, that would be great. So, and, and again, if they want to buy any of the wines off you, six, six bottles and you'll be there at the door. No problem. Yeah. And it's forestal.ie. Absolutely. Ron, great to talk to you as always. Thanks, Ron. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan. And just before the break this evening, Ron Forrestal was here in the studio sharing his fantastic wine recommendations. If you're just tuning in and you'd like to catch up on the first part of the show, it'll be up in the podcast later in the week and you'll find it on soundcloud.com forward slash food dash and dash drink dash show or subscribe free of charge and download it on iTunes or use the podcast app. Still to come tonight, M.M. McDonnell will be in studio to talk about her new cookbook. But before that, it's an out and about interview. A few weeks ago, I was very lucky to enjoy a trip to Ross Lair to celebrate my 10th wedding anniversary with himself. The two children were with us also. And I have to say, we really had a fantastic couple of days. So thanks to everybody in Kelly's. I personally have a bit of a thing for art. So I was very taken by the collection in the hotel, albeit totally worried that one of my children was going to break something. So I took a few minutes and I nabbed Laura Kelly to ask her about it so let's have a listen to our chat Cheers Chin Chin Salut Schleiter Laura, I'm blown away by the art collection here in Kelly's Resort in Rosslare. It's just incredible. Tell us how you started, how the family started to collect the art. Well I'm so happy to <laughs> to hear that you enjoy the collection here. I suppose there is something for everybody um, and that's what we find here with the art collection it started in actually 19 in the 1950s with my grandparents uh, Billy and Breda Kelly they actually invited um, Kenneth Webb at the time to come down and to display his pieces as well as his students pieces here in the hotel and they were really just blown away by the reaction that they got and that the interest that people had in this art and I think that's really where 
where their passion for art began. And at the end of the exhibition, they ended up buying a lot of the paintings that were on exhibition in the hotel. So I suppose you could say that was really the starting point for Kelly's and the art collection. Because art can really make a difference to the ambiance, be it in a restaurant, somebody's home or a place like Kelly's. And there's great warmth added to the the hotel, I think, because of the the range of art and the difference in the different styles for the artists. But you have lots of fantastic Irish artists here. And there's one artist that I absolutely adore, and that's John B. Valley, who's from Armagh. Oh my God, those oil paintings that you have, and they're huge. We do, we're very lucky, I have to say, to have a lot of John, John B. Vallely paintings here in Kelly's. Actually, the, the history of having the Vallely paintings here in Kelly's was that it started off in the 1960s. The Irish Arts Council wanted to promote Irish artists within, um, yeah, within the country, really, and what they did was that they set up joint ventures with hotels like ourselves where they went on to jointly purchase paintings and it was really through this scheme that my grandfather and my grandmother would have discovered uh, Valerie and they would have bought many paintings through this scheme and after my granddad passed away actually they probably bought over 20 paintings through this scheme jointly with um, with the Irish Arts Council however following my grandfather's untimely death in 77 my granny who's a very great businesswoman and you know she just was very passionate about art she actually made it her mission to buy back all the paintings the half that the arts council had which meant that the hotel it was part of our own personal collection then after that and it's really through that Valerie would have been one of the major paintings that painters that would have been discovered through that along the likes of um, Morris McGonagall also I don't know if you know he would have been one of my grandparents favourite artists at the time we actually have a private dining room dedicated to Morris McGonagall around the back of the hotel where we do private functions another person through that scheme would have been Nora McGuinness so there was a lot going on back then already but you're right it really does trigger something within people and I think it really adds to Kelly's it's nearly part of the identity of Kelly's now at this stage and you have people who arrive at the hotel and they don't know anything about art nor do they know that we have quite an extensive art collection and you find people who might have never considered art before starting to comment and interested and I always remember my father saying because for a while there was this painting on the end wall and it was a white canvas and it had a big orange it was a column in us actually and it was had a big orange block that looked like it was leaking and it was the biggest talking factor of the hotel because art is so objective that either you like things or you dislike things but to us what's interesting is that even if you dislike a painting it's triggered an emotional reaction within you that has caused you to discuss it with someone as dad said the man came up to him and goes I really don't like that painting and dad said okay he said that's fantastic and he was like what do you mean it's fantastic he said when have you ever spoken to me about art before and he said 
never and he goes so that's fantastic you don't like it that's great you formed your own opinion on it and I think that's where the fun of art comes there's something for everybody have you any idea how many pieces are in the collection and of course we must point out that the collection consists of uh, paintings photographs Sculptures, sculptures, bronzes, there, mm. like, there's more to it than just the actual painting. I suppose we also have the crockery in the hotel. Googie would have been commissioned to do the crockery in the hotel. Our menus were commissioned and designed by William Crozier. So yeah, actually you're so right. You've, there's you've, you've encompassed actually, into you've built everything. Up, you've built up a really good relationship with a number of Irish artists that, you know, it, it has kind of overlapped from the art and the wall to as you say the menus and you have a couple of suites as well that are, we are named after some artists. We have our Tony O'Malley suite um, and also our William Crozier suite who would be dedicated to two very well like artists that we really respect and always have within the hotel. The other artist that I want to highlight is Neil Shawcross because he's another he's another Northern Irish artist and people might recognise his art because he would do Campbell's soup tins or, or Heinz and he actually then has, has done a painting of your own wine. Yeah, of my mother's wine. So my mum's from Chateauneuf-du-Pap and they're from the vineyard, the Claudie Pap. And uh, yeah, Neil Shawcross is just... A fantastic man and we love meeting him every time we see him but uh, he's done some fantastic pieces for us in the hotel and that being one of them and it was just he's just such a lovely man <laughs> if you had to pick a favorite piece do you know which one it would be no and people ask me this all the time I really don't know and you know what surprises me is that it changes and I do often have favourite paintings maybe on a specific day but the next day it mightn't be the same favourite painting I walked through the dining room today I think at the moment I love the Louis Le Brocchi in the dining room oh, that's, that's one of my favourites now I have to say but, but then some days you walk through and there's other paintings that just you know I think it really depends on your mood and how you feel on the day that I just find it changes all the time which one's my favorite one I mean even I think the <laughs> painting that we get a huge reaction to is the pink bunny rabbit at the front reception so it's by uh, Jerry Biche who is a French artist but it was just actually dad was passing a gallery in France he was just walking I mean he's not well known here nor would he be huge over there but dad was passing a gallery and saw this huge pink rabbit in the window and was like I have to have that he just fell in love with it and he ended up getting it from the hotel but it's actually it's funny because it's got a lot of the children involved in art a little bit that rabbit because every little girl wants to be taken you know their photograph taken in front of this giant rabbit and this year actually the girls in the kids club have put together like a little um tour of the art for the kids as well Whoa. to try get them like involved and just ask them their opinions and draw pictures of their favorite art just to try get the kids involved in what's going on as well but well, you know now like a number of the the sculptures and they're pretty big like just the perfect size for a child to be climbing on oh, or yeah. sitting on so i think it's great that you're not you know you don't have them in class cages because the number of times now i've had to say to my child don't touch it don't touch it up away god knows how much it costs I think please don't break it 
<laughs> well, the main one for that is the Anthony Scott, the dog, the big dog yes. in the garden. Yep. The kids are, I think it's probably the most photoed sculpture in the world. Every kid gets up on top of it, is hanging out of his tail. You kind of wonder how the tail is still on oh, it. <laughs> oh, no. He's very sturdy. He's been there for years and he doesn't seem to be going anywhere. <laughs> and the one that's at the entrance to the hotel then, I, my children and I were trying to decide what exactly is it. It's well, very that's abstract. That's the fun of being abstract. You can interpret things in any way you want. I, It's an abstract horse from okay. what I, I gather. But uh, different people interpret things different ways. But it's stunning at the entrance, isn't it? It really gives yeah. the entrance the wow factor. Yeah, it does. And well... Let's just say people have been up on top of that as well, and that's pretty big. (laughs) So every year then, does everything go back up in the same place, or do you mix it up? Because even in the, I'm amazed that even in the bedrooms, there's original art in each of the bedrooms as well. We, We don't move everything around every year, because certainly there are pieces that just were nearly made for a certain position Mm. and they look great there but we do like to move things around a little bit so that people I think even if you have a wall of painting even by moving one painting randomly it it gives you a whole new perspective on the art so people it's nice I think it generates a bit more of a reaction people start looking for their paintings again their favourite ones the next year when they come back and I think it's good to move them around from time to time you don't want to get used to seeing them in the same position and you never sell anything that's here for no. life you hang on to it well even at the if, moment anyway even if somebody came up and said I want that Andy Worrell Debbie Harry with the beautiful red lips there out of the ivy uh, let me just say I think dad wouldn't part with her too easily he has a, a soft spot for Debbie Debbie Harry there on the wall. She is fabulous. I don't think he's part with her very, uh, very quickly, no. We have been offered, but all the paintings here in the hotel have been bought really through love. It hasn't really, not so much as an investment. It was never looked at as an investor. It was more looked at because of the love and the passion for the art. So... At the moment, no, we don't plan on selling anything in the future. Who knows? But um, as I say to Dad, I give out to him because I say, you, between my grandparents and between you, you've left me no wall space. What am I meant to do when I want to add to the collection? Oh, so I'm not sure what we're going to do. My mother would always say, you'll find a space for it. There's always a space <laughs> somewhere. You'll always find a nook or cranny. Now, before we finish up, um, photographs. There's lots of lovely photographs and there's a collection there that I noticed and it's of nuns. Yes, that's the ja- Jackie Nickerson. Tell us the story behind that. Um, Jackie Nickerson is an American photographer, I think, and uh, she came to Ireland and did a whole collection called Faith. So she went around and discovered, you know, went to the, the monasteries and things, and it's it's a whole collection. So we have five of them now in, in ours, but I just think they're brilliant. They make me smile every time you go by, and you have the nun who's carrying the eggs with the big smile on her face. But what's amazing is that actually... It's, it, the collection was done not that many years ago, but people have come to the hotel being like, I know that lady on that picture. I know that nun or that priest. And people people know them or were taught by these people. And it's just so interesting. But that's something that 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 the the faith collection with the nuns is something that definitely is definitely a talking point in and, the hotel. And the other photographs of Kelly's 
back in the day and you can look at how it has changed over the years that must be a lovely collection to look at I suppose it is well they would have been personal photographs taken over the years by by family and my great grandfather was an avid photographer so a lot of the photography the old pictures that you see a lot of them would have been him that would have would have taken them um, but I suppose there's we're 101, 121 years this year so there's a lot of history and a lot of photographs to be taken over that many years I love the one of somebody was getting out of a boat and they're actually on the back of is it over there it's just there oh, is that one yeah I saw that earlier yeah that's fabulous that's that's my grandmother being taken out. Yeah, of the boat. And, it, and it says transfers by. There's a little caption on it. Transfers by. Yeah. See by Billy Kelly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's a cool photograph. It's lovely. Yeah, it's, yeah, uh, yeah. It's just lovely to walk around and to look at them and just take time out and, you know, just absorb the different colours, the different themes of them. I've really enjoyed it. So thanks very much. No, oh, you're welcome. I'm so happy to hear that you enjoyed. <laughs> You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste with me, Sharon Noonan. So far on the show tonight, Ron Forrestal from Forrestal Wine Merchants shared his latest wine recommendations. And just before the break, I was out and about and was in awe of the absolutely incredible collection of art that adorns the walls and the grounds of Kelly's Resort in Ross Lair. Don't forget, if you've missed any of the show so far, it will be up on the podcast later in the week and you'll find it on soundcloud.com forward slash food and dash drink show or subscribe free of charge and download it on iTunes or use the podcast app. Now it's time for the final interview of the evening and we're turning our attention to a new cookbook that is out on the market. And this one is particularly special because it's by a West Limerick local. The Farmette Cookbook Recipes and Adventures for My Life on an Irish Farm is out now and I'm really thrilled that its author, Eman MacDonald, joins me in the studio. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Eman, you're very welcome to the studio. I'm delighted to have you here. Congratulations on your fabulous book. Thank you so much for having me, Sharon. I cannot believe now it is, what, 18 months since you were here. It was Thanksgiving. You brought in lovely goodies and I'm delighted to return your tray, your knife and your jar. I know. Thank you. Thank you. That was so lovely. I remember I brought the Parker House rolls They were in. delicious with the salt, the sea salt on them. They were lovely. Yeah, mm, loved them. And yeah. the butter and everything that you'd made yourself. Yeah. And you've been making a lot of butter since. I All around the country at electric picnic in different places yeah and next week I'm going to be making it at Ballyvalon house I'm doing a um, workshop there and then we'll also be making butter in Jeffrey and I will be going to lit fest and doing it this year too yeah I do I was thinking about it today that I just I'm just like this butter maker going around everywhere so but could you imagine now 10 years ago that this was what your life was going to end up being that you were going to be sitting with a fantastic beautifully published book about food no I could not I 
Honestly, I just, I think about it all the time, and especially recently because I'm doing the launches and things and meeting a lot of people and, um, you know, having to promote the book. And I'm just thinking about, like, the whole experience. And, I mean, I think everybody's lives are at the end of maybe a series of improbable coincidences. But this does feel extraordinary to me. Like, I, I honestly was never... A big Ireland uh, uh, phone or whatever you want to say where people, you know, a lot of people in America are very smitten, very um, obsessed with Ireland because they have Irish roots perhaps or even if they don't. But yeah, I never pictured myself being over here marrying a farmer, learning, you know, how to grow my own and cook everything and do everything from scratch. So it's been quite a journey. Yeah. For me, coming down from Belfast to West Limerick was a bit of a culture shock. It was a bit of a culture shock now. So trying to imagine what it was like moving from Minneapolis, having worked in New York to West Limerick, it, it must have been a serious culture shock. Um, yes, it was. And But I think ultimately, um, you know, I think the shock of it, and you might really agree with me but it comes down to not having those friends and family close to you like you would have had I mean it is a, yeah it is a, the city to the country is a shock and we in fact we lived in Adair at first because I didn't think I'd be able to move straight onto the farm I thought that Adair would kind of bridge that you know the difference between cosmopolitan and total country life which it really didn't do because you know Adair is charming but is it is kind of a medieval little village town but um I miss my friends and family more than anything and then um but once we got onto the farm and then I had a little boy had a baby then that's when I think the real culture shock came in where I felt really alone and that you know the nearest supermarket was really far away and I was just I was gonna have to figure out how to do everything on my own and then I did but yeah it's huge culture shock was it at that stage that you really got into the growing your own and making your own butter and your mother-in-law Peggy was very much on hand at that stage was she she was yeah so she was always somebody to emulate like she just had this effortlessness in the kitchen and you just you know, I would often, I would always be looking at her going, okay, so because she, she was a teacher, she did grow up on a farm, but she was from another part of, she was from Cork, and she had to come and assimilate into, you know, the McDonald family farm. And she was a blow-in. She was a blow-in, as you say. Blow-ins, yep. Yeah, but somehow she would just, she, she in the kitchen, she was just, had this really calm nature about her, no matter if she was cooking for two people or like Fifty, it was always the same, and I always just was trying to crack that, like figure. You know, I'm going to have to be like that eventually, which seemed like such a huge challenge, and it still is. I'm still not anything close to Peggy, but she did teach me a lot, and I miss her so much. And are there any of her recipes in the book? Um, yeah, there's a apple tart. Her apple tart is in there. Well, her her whole voice is really throughout the book. I mean, she's she every recipe I've ever written has her voice you know I can hear her talking to me about you know that that won't work or that'll work but her gooseberry jam is in there Peggy's gooseberry jam Peggy's apple tart um, this the lovely Irish country salad I'm not sure if they do that as much in the north but one of the, the first things that she actually served to me which is really just simple was um, this just beautiful country salad of like a potato salad and a little ham and boiled egg and tomato and that kind of country salad thing and it's, that's not something 
you know, that's not very difficult, but simple things like that, you know, you just bring, it brings her back home to us. You started writing the blog. At what stage did you start doing that? Okay, so I started writing the blog um, in 2011, I believe, or 2010. Um, actually, let me think about that here. 2010. My father passed away the year before, and basically that year after he died, I was back, you know, in Ireland, and it was kind of a blur, and had a toddler, and Richard was gone farming, and at the time I, I hadn't gone onto the farm and wasn't working on the farm, I was just really home with Jeffrey and trying to do my best to figure out what to do. <laughs> You're on the internet, like a lot of yes. just after we have kids, we were on the internet and probably the iPhone and everything wasn't around then so much at that Not time. as much. No. I think I had a Blackberry. Mm. I did, when I moved here, I had a Blackberry and I was very much, I was like, Head I, off I was, yeah, yeah, I was breastfeeding with Blackberry um, too, but um I, yeah, I was alone. I felt really lonely. And really, it was a way to reach out and see if I could connect with other women, whether they be farming or just, you know, as you say, just connecting. So I started writing. I think the first thing I wrote, I remember I typed out, oh, what did I, I just was like, you know, that I, it was really hard. I was really struggling at first. And I can't remember exactly what I typed, but I deleted it right away because it sounded like a crazy woman. <laughs> and then eventually, um, you it, it, this Marie Lavery from the Farmer's Journal came to me and said, do you want to start writing a column? Because I was just writing more or less about experiences, not as much about food, but just about my, the differences I've found between the city, American city and Irish country. She thought was funny. Like I went to a fashion show, I won't say where or whatever, but, um, and a woman asked me if I was horsey and I didn't know what that meant at the time. And I really was offended by it. And I had wrote this whole big funny thing up about it. Marie thought that was hilarious. So I started doing that. And then eventually, of course, yeah, the food thing. I was I was driving ungodly uh, distances to go into town and do shopping and get things that were convenient. For, like like there's La Cucina pizza. I would drive into Limerick and get that because I, I wanted convenient. This is way back, you know. And eventually I realized that I'm not going to be able to sustain that. I'm not going to be able to drive in and out. I've got a whole farm here in front of us and you know took an organic growing class and like when I sort of never looked back I just started growing really started growing and doing so much of our own stuff on the farm you're clearly very passionate about it now so whenever you look back and think about the distances that you drove to get those foods do you shake your head oh I do it just really it makes it just it kind of boils my blood a little bit you know because first of all it's just this terrible carbon imprint and like how how irresponsible yeah I do I really do so that was you writing then about the food. And then did you kind of get into photography or you knew people that were in photography because you host these getaways for people that are into food styling and, and taking lovely photographs of food, the Lens and Larder, it's called. Yeah, and it sounds wonderful. Yeah. So we have one coming up next week with Renee Kemps, um, who's coming from Amsterdam. Um, yeah. I think Donald Skeen was probably the one who inspired me to start doing, caring more about photography on the blog and and the food photography aspect of it. I went um, up to Dublin for a food bloggers thing and met him and just, yeah, once you start, you get that bug of, of photographing food. 
then? Because you were producing commercials. I was. In the States, and then you produced a short movie here called Small Green Fields. And uh, Donald Skehan was in that. He was, yeah. Yeah, he's, I was looking at that the other day. He looks just like so young. I mean, he is he young. He young. still look, he looks young. But that you know that film was what now four years ago. Um, yeah, so that kind of brought things kind of full circle too. I was able then to see. I what had happened was I was doing so much food at home on my own and stuff like that. But then I was meeting all these artisan producers and farmers and things just through the food blogging circuit and. It was just like this quiet providence of real Irish food that was just so intriguing to me. And I felt at the time I'd pitched some articles. I was very brazen and I thought I got the editors for the New York Times um, emails and I pitched um, some pieces on Irish food and how incredible it was. And you wouldn't believe it. And this and of course, you know, they were just like, whatever. So I said, I'm going to do this film. And I got my filmmaker friends over and we did that. It was one of the best experiences I think I've had. And that actually got to air on all the Aer Lingus transatlantic flights for one summer. And it did like a film festival thing in the U.S. and um, things like that. But yeah, I guess because I had the background visually that the food photography thing kind of came naturally. And I'm... Um, and I really enjoyed it. Although when I was shooting food for commercials and stuff, I wasn't. It wasn't my favorite thing, you know. But anyway, you didn't no. have the love for it then, though. You probably didn't have the, the appreciation for what yeah. went into the food, or it maybe was yeah conven- convenience type food. Was it? It was things like yeah. yeah. It was it was like pizza and stuff like big brands and like a, a lot of that. Um, high speed filming where you're looking at like slow motion pepperoni slices in the air and takes you know some that shot will take like an entire day to do and it's just boring you know <laughs> but you would have an appreciation for food styling stuff you know if you had that experience and so I shot my book and everything too I mean I photographed the book there did you do these photographs I did I did yeah. They're fabulous. Um, I love the cover. No, you didn't take the cover because you're didn't. on the my cover. I did uh, Gita Kennedy from, actually, um, if I can say, she's from Limerick. She's a fantastic photographer. Well, she's originally from Denmark, but she's married an Irishman. And she took the, um, the front and the back covers. Uh, and then everything else in there is from... Yeah, my photography and my friend Sonia came over from the States to help me do the styling part. And it's geared up for the Irish market and the US market. It is. It's been very, so you've had very flashy launches in New York. and <laughs> Yes, I was Dublin. in New York. I was in a couple of New York uh, launches. Dublin. Yeah. Oh, my God. It's been so much lately. I just got back from Dublin and last week, which is so much fun. Yeah, I'm, I'm just getting into the groove of it, and then I suppose it'll be kind of done. But it is the book, after three weeks, it went into the second printing, which is pretty big because the first print run was quite large as it was. So, I mean, I was shocked to hear. Do- how many? Uh, no, well, it was 10,000. Wow, that's incredible. Well, it's 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 not too bad for a first-time author. That's, Fantastic, yeah. yeah. It's, you, should, uh, you should be very proud. I hope you are very proud. I am proud. I'm just, you know, I think I'm just in shock over everything. I, I love that it's been received well. But yeah, it's in the States and it's here. It's actually everywhere. Somebody sent me, It was in. it's in Tokyo. Not translated, but... It's yeah, it has worldwide distribution. And the reason I'm saying about it being geared for the US and the Irish market is because there's probably a difference in the measurements and things like that. I see in the contents page here you have the conversions. Um, in it, every recipe has a conversion. It has both um, imperial and metric measurements, so you can 
Because it is a bit different in America, the way they use the cups. I think, yeah, the cups. There. Yeah. Did you find it difficult to adjust to that yourself at the start? Or oh. is it easy just get a set of scales and away you go? Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> no, it was really hard at the start yeah. before... Before I suppose I had my own kitchen and all my own measuring things. Like I was saying to you when we were here for Thanksgiving that I I cooked a Thanksgiving meal here before I moved over. Because Richard and I dated for like a year and a half, almost two years transatlantically before. Yeah. yeah. And so I, I thought the one this one year that I would do a Thanksgiving at the farm and I brought stuff in my suitcase. <laughs> But that was the first time I cooked here, and so the, the Celsius and Fahrenheit, every, everything was so foreign. It's full. I cannot, to be honest, I can't believe I did it. Like it was a hu- and it was a huge meal too, but sur- survived it. But yeah, that was a, quite a learning curve. But I think at this stage, the listeners are saying, "Ask her how she met Richard." Oh yeah, well you can read it on my blog too. <laughs> I just actually wrote about it. Um, I think the title of the blog post is "Well, You're My Valentine." Do you, do you know the story, Sharon? Oh, okay. Tell us the story. I do know the story, but tell a little. Okay. So he was visiting friends that live in uh, Minneapolis, St. Paul. They actually own a series of real Irish pubs there. Um, I won't mention the family name, I suppose. But anyway, he was over visiting uh, one of his schoolmates that he graduated school with. And we just met out, you know, wasn't anything fancy or any. You know, nothing too romantic there. But then he, we, we kind of headed off on that night. We chatted away for the entire evening. And I just couldn't believe here's a, I was talking to this Irish farmer with a degree in philosophy. And, but he was so funny and so warm. And he asked me out to dinner. So I agreed. I brought my friends with just to be safe. Um, I mean, not safe, but, you know, you can never be too safe. And we had this gorgeous meal and the best night and just burgundy was flowing and had the most beautiful meal and laughter and it just was really great and then he actually got up um, towards the end of the meal and disappeared came back turns out he got up and paid for the entire meal for everybody and then he later told us that but then I pitched in later because I wasn't going to allow that. But just the point that he did that was so interesting because it was his birthday on top of it. I mean, he was just so modest and just chivalry wasn't dead on him and just a really lovely fellow. So um, he was leaving like two days later. I was a little bit smitten, but not 100% because I just went back to my work and you know I was really into my work. And I got to my office on the morning of Valentine's and he was leaving that day. And there was a big, well, first of all, I walked in and everybody had like these big Cheshire cat smiles looking at me. And I was like, what is going on? So I got into my office and there was a huge bouquet of flowers. And I mean, like five feet to like massive on my desk and the little card that read. Oh, well, he had asked me, sorry, oh, go back. He asked me who my Valentine was going to be. And I said, my father. And when I got the card, it said, well, you're my Valentine. Oh, so, yeah. He, so romantic. It was, yeah, he kind of won the me over. Limerick men are so romantic. I know. <laughs> Jeffrey's laughing yes, there. Is your dad son. still very romantic, Jeffrey? Well, maybe 50, 60, 90%. Well, that's good. 90% is fantastic. So it yeah, is. that's great. Now, you've been all around the place, as we said, for the book launches, and Jeffrey and Richard have gone with you. That must have been, it must be nice to be able to share the experiences. Very well. nice. It was, yeah. And I, I felt that I couldn't do it without, I mean, like like I said at the launch in Dublin, you know, if it wasn't for them, I wouldn't, there would not be a book if it wasn't for Richard, you know. 
Um, it's lovely to have the support within. It's lovely for people to meet them. It's in particular, you know, Rich Jeffrey, of course, because he's just a sweetheart and he's great fun. And everybody loves him. But just to meet Richard, the Irish farmer, and you know, for him to talk a little about his, about his family and the farm and stuff is really nice for people too. And you're going to be at Lit Fest. Tell us what you're up to at Lit Fest. Okay, so um, we, I'm going to Lit Fest. Jeffrey and I are doing a campaign with Carrie Gold called Create with a K. So we're developing a series of recipes with Carrie Gold, and then we're going to be doing a couple demos on the day, kind of the cooking with your kids um, thing. And then I'm doing a lens and larder workshop on the Sunday. And the lens and larder then, the workshop, is it a food styling type workshop that you're doing with people there? Yes, it's a like a one-day um I think it, I think I think Litfest is charging like twenty euros. So it's basically like an afternoon, like three three and a half four hours with yeah. Yvette um, Van Boven. And she's in Amsterdam, a Dutch photographer and stylist and illustrator, and her husband, who's also a photographer. So there, it's going to be more of a um, more of like a seminar type thing rather than a hands on. So there'll be like a multimedia presentation, and Kleena and I will be on Kleena Prendergast. Oh, yes, um, tell us about Kleena because you haven't yeah. talked about her. And Sorry. She, she your partner in crime and just to let listeners know that Ballymoo Lit Fest is the 20th to the 22nd of May. Yes and the Lens and Larder is on the 22nd and Kleena Prendergast is my amazing partner in crime for Lens and Larder she also has her own um, it's uh, her own Cooking with Children series of beautiful films called Breaking Eggs and um, she's just a brilliant creative a Ballymoo trained chef and lovely all around person so she's a great partner in so we've been or we've organized all the lens and larders together um, and they've been a great success fantastic it's just amazing what you've done like to come from the producing commercials to the farm in West Limerick to write in the blog to be doing workshops all these recipes and I have to uh, you just whenever you were talking there about your mother-in-law and about Mm -hmm. her calming influence I remembered um, one of your blogs about the barbecue that you'd organised a barbecue at the house and you looked outside and it was raining and you were just fraught like it was a disaster whereas like we we have barbecues in it has to rain to have a barbecue in Ireland (laughs) I thought that was very funny it was very funny that was a good one I remember um, yeah we get on with it that's what was told to me and I was in tears (laughs) I couldn't believe it so what is next for Iman? well um what is next is just to get through these uh, not to, not that I can't get through but just there's a lot of work and stuff coming up we're doing I'm doing um, a series of pop-up dinners at Kildare Village which is related it's called From the Isle and it's related to the So Collective which is a new boutique in the village that's all indigenous um, Irish des- designers and wears beautiful clothing and beautiful thing. So we're doing kind of a series of pop-up dinners featuring um, real Irish ingredients, Kleena and I again, um, and that's called From the Isle. So we're doing a, a three dinners there, and then Lip Fest and a Lens and Larder. And then I'm going home, back home to the States for um, six weeks this summer. So I'll be doing some book things there, but I'll also just be chilling out and visiting my family because I haven't been back 
I didn't get to go back last summer. And so that's kind of it. Besides, we have this little film thing that might be happening. But that's, yes, that's no, on. we're you not going to say it. No, we can't. We can't. I'll come thing. back and tell you more about that another time. <laughs> well, we will hold you to that. So okay. In the meantime, the book, it is the Farmet Cookbook. And what's your blog web address? Farmet.ie. Farmet.ie. And this is available in all good bookshops, I presume, and online through Amazon and whatnot. How much is it? If you get it on Amazon, it's 25 it's But if you buy it in the bookstore, it's like 35 So <laughs> go to Amazon. Um, and then <laughs> lensandlarger.com. Your local bookshop. <laughs> Sorry. Well, and Lensandlarger, you have a website for Lens Lensandlarger.com is, is the food photography and styling workshops. So Fantastic. Listen, thanks so much for coming in. Thank you so much, Sharon. I love coming. to see Jeffrey. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleiter. Sadly, that brings us to the end of tonight's show, which will be on the podcast later in the week, soundcloud.com forward slash food and drink show, or subscribe to it free of charge on iTunes or use the podcast app. Thanks so much for your company and to all of this evening's guests, Ron Forrestal, Laura Kelly and Eman McDonnell. Until next week, bon appétit. Do you want to get in touch with the best possible taste? Do you want to come on, share a recipe, review a cookery book, or just have a general chat about what you like to eat and drink? All you have to do is get in touch with me, Sharon Noonan, by sending an email to s.noonan at live.ie or send me a tweet at Queen of Org. Bon appétit!